The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, from the Derbies to Deservies, it's another busy show. Arsenal, should they book the open-top bus? Spurs, should they unload the lorries? Brighton, Solly Marsh attacks. And Chelsea, throwing more money at Mudrick. We'll be discussing all of those meaty issues and more in this Totally Football Show. Hey, listener. Good morning to you. The scene, it's a.m. on Monday the 16th of January. I'm staring across the table in our sleek, smooth, totally studio at the very lovely Sasha Gurionov. Good morning, James. And also Natalie Jedra. Hello. Of ESPN Brazil. Yes, that's me. Boom. Uh, joining us remotely from somewhere much more authentic and northern, it's Daniel Story. Good morning, James. All right. It's midway through the season, everybody. Happy midway through the season day. Yay. Yeah. You guys have had a busy weekend, haven't you? You went to Old Trafford, Daniel? I did. Yeah, I saw Sash. Natalie there. I went to uh, Brighton. But before that, on Thursday, I went to Fulham. That was fun. Okay. And Natalie, where have you been? Both derbies. Old Trafford and Spurs. What was your favourite derby of yes, the weekend, Natalie? Manchester. Oh, yeah? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I More of a so. game. More of a game, yes. Right. I think, in a way, the North London derby was much of what we already expected. Right. And with the Manchester derby, it was all up in the air and things were happening on second half, so it was exciting. Yeah. Oh, as somebody who does enjoy the English game. Yes. I mean, as we all are, actually. <laughs> no way separates you from the rest of us. Absolutely not. But uh, which fixture, I wonder, is the one you most kind of look forward to? You know, the Manchester Derby is up there. Uh-huh. Definitely. I really like it. In terms of atmosphere, I think the North London Derby is, is always special. This time, it wasn't so much. Well, a little but bit too much atmosphere. Yes, mm. yes, yes. But I think, yeah, Manchester Derby and, and well, City-Liverpool lately... And mm-hmm. United Liverpool, I think, that are the, my three favorite fixtures. All right. Yeah. Excited to hear your thoughts then on the latest edition of uh, the, the Manchester, the Manchester game. The the big news really at the top of the table. Loads of things to talk about, but the two derbies this weekend combining to leave Arsenal eight points clear. What do we make of that? Let's start with events in North London. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Trying lots of possession. Odegaard. And a crack again from distance and he finds the bottom corner. And Arsenal do get what is a deserved 2-0 advantage here. All right, that's the Tyler verdict there. The Arsenal moment. winning away at Spurs in the Premier League for the first time in nine years. They are 14 points above Tottenham with the game in hand. They're eight points clear of Manchester City. All right, so Natalie, you were there. Did you see the champions? Well, uh, maybe. <laughs> I think there's 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 a high, very high chance. I, I'm I'm so convinced with with Arsenal. I think we all we all are at this point of the season. And I know we we still have halfway to go, but the way they're playing and the the difficulties that they are overcoming. They they just they just keep bringing it, and I think that's very impressive. And the the, the personality to go to Spurs where they haven't uh, won since 2014, and to play the way they played and to impose their pace uh, ever since uh, the, the 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 match started, and with the atmosphere that is always different in the North London derby. So I think they they managed to be really smart and take advantage of of the good momentum in the match. Mm-hmm. So after the first goal, Spurs just started to fall apart. And Arsenal really showed their character, their personality, and just kept attacking. And even though during the second half, they did look a bit tired at times. Uh, Ramsdale was brilliant, really saved the day at, at, at some occasions. And they were just clever and they, they looked like champions. I don't know if they're going to win this thing, but they did look like champions, definitely. Okay. There, there, there is a theory kind of going around after the game that had the two teams swapped keepers, the outcome would have been reversed. Sasha, do Spurs need a new keeper? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think Lloris is on the way. And I, th- I think the mistake that he made here, just very, very basic, 
First of all, why is he holding his post? Mind you, even the best dude, De Gea did it the other week. He, What's wrong with holding your post? If you're holding the post, you yeah. ha- one of your hands is basically not in a natural position to why use w- it. To why would the you ball. do it then? Uh, I think basically to orient it yourself. And I think this looks very much like five aside when you kind of just stand on the near post. But I think what, when he's doing it, he should be more aware of his goal is, but he's actually grabbing the post, I think. Right. And secondly, and I think this is actually more important here because it affects his body position. He is too low and his weight is too far forward. So then the natural movement of when you pick yourself up to try to catch the ball up at your chest actually becomes a very problematic and he loses his balance. Because he's actually moving backwards. He's moving, but it's everything upwards and backwards. Right. Uh, very, I just moved <laughs> from the mic no, no. upwards and backwards and it, it just it, it, it is a very destabilizing move and I think this is a problem with some goalkeepers who have a very low set position stuff that's high becomes quite unnatural for them we actually will talk probably about a similar mistake that Millier made as well because mm. he was a little bit low down so his save which then gets tapped in becomes hugely problematic he loses his balance but Loris I think unfortunately Loris he feels small he makes a lot of big mistakes I mean, he's had a great career, but I think, yeah, I think, I think this, is, this is time for a change. At the same time, Ramsdale enjoys this big occasion. You know, you can see he's absolutely loving it. All the saves, all the pumping, all the atmosphere. Probably doesn't involve getting kicked. Doesn't, surely it doesn't like getting kicked. Right. Uh, but at the same time, this, this is the sort of game he's made for. And I thought it was quite apt that the final point in the game was when he comes out and claims that ball in like very confidently to just like, you know, finish off the match. Mm, yeah, if any keeper deserved to kick up the backside, it, it, it wasn't... Ramsdale, Daniel, what did you make of events Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I just it, there's just a swagger to Arsenal. Natalie said it right when she said they impose themselves. We're used to watching Arsenal of of past, recent past, sort of alter how they play for different opponents. And this this Arsenal doesn't do that. They play exactly the same way against Brighton as they do against Tottenham, as they do against you know against Nottingham Forest, as against Southampton. They, they they just play exactly their way because they've they've they're completely drilled in what they're doing. There is definitely a doubt about the depth in the squad. There's a reason they went for Mudrick and there's a reason they'll probably will go for someone else. Um, but that deserves not to be a problem yet because it hasn't it hasn't reared its head yet. And and they have had slight injury issues in the squad and they've overcome them. Gabriel Jesus' injury being one of them. But it's just the way that every part seems to know so easily and so well what they're doing that you drop in Eddie Nketiah and nothing really seems to change. Mm. Every week, I think people are slightly hedging their expectations based on what the next big exam will tell us about Arsenal. This was supposed to be one of them, but Spurs didn't really make it so. Oh, my God. And after the, the second goal, they just didn't respond. And this keeps happening uh, during the season for Spurs. Every time something goes uh, wrong or it doesn't go their way, it, it's like they're, they're not involved in the match anymore. Mm. It's like they, they're not enjoying it anymore. And... In a way, it didn't feel like a North London derby because you're used to that competitive atmosphere and the, the fans and, and in the stands and, and the, the, the mood in the stadium also dropped because this has been happening as well. And, and I don't blame the fans, honestly, because uh, if, if you see the players and they, and they don't seem engaged and it's a North London derby, mm. I mean, of course, they're going to respond. But I think uh, the team feels... Uh, the, the 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 response from the stands and it just it it influences it was just weird and and Arsenal had so much space at the time uh, at times uh, dominating midfield and you're so used to uh, this this fixture being let's leave everything on the pitch and it didn't feel like that much of the time uh, on second half Spurs were better they created more chances but then it's it's something like lack of accuracy or lack of confidence, but it's it's just it's not working. You appoint Antonio Conte for four reasons. Firstly, for big games, and Spurs have been terrible in big games under his management, because he can organise a defence and they look completely disorganised about Lloris doesn't help, but I always think when when goalkeepers who have proved that they are good are playing badly, that's normally a sign of, of something else other than their decline. And I agree with Sasha that there is a decline there and he probably needs to be replaced. But I think it's also a sign of something else. You appoint him because he is arguably being the best manager of the last decade in world football at using wing-backs, both as attacking and defensive options. And yet we're still at the stage where he's starting Ryan Sessegnon and Matt Doherty as wing-backs. And neither of them he seems to have been convinced about almost since day one. And you also do it because he seems to forge this connection between the players, which Tottenham needed when they appointed him because Kane and Son were coming to a period in their careers where they needed success now, not success three or four years down the line. He was seen as the short-term option and yet 
both of those players look thoroughly miserable at the moment. So, yeah, it's going south quickly. So they need a new goalkeeper and, and a new manager. That sounds simple, Sash. Actually, this is an in- interesting thing that Daniel said about him being appointed to win the big games. Like, I just looked at my little notes here. Spurs have been bad against the other big six for, well, at least the last five, six seasons. And under Conte now, they actually got worse. Um, but one thing that really sort of I find really weird, because I went, um, I think on Boxing Day, we went to, to Brentford Spurs, mm. first game back. And Spurs were object, like abject for 60 minutes. And then I could see Conte tweaked what he was doing on the pitch and they destroyed the Brentford midfield. And I was like, so it is there somewhere. And that was the game that completely turned around. But it doesn't seem to be happening. Okay, Arsenal are a different level side, but it feels like the pressure that they put in yesterday, it, it was almost like symbolic. Okay, let's make it a bit more of a game. But it, it, didn't, fee- it didn't feel like he would be able to sort of influence the outcome. I really didn't understand Sessegnon against Saka as well, because I think when one, one side of your defence gets destroyed, it kind of goes through the rest of the team. And also, this is again what Arsenal do so well, they pin the defences back and find the spaces on the edge of the box. Again, we find it, see, I saw it again yesterday. So almost the first half wasn't really that surprising, no, uh, which I just find astonishing. No, it really wasn't. And the gap shouldn't be so big because, as Daniel pointed out, and, and this is, we're used to seeing very organized teams uh, from Conte. And you, you did not see that against Arsenal, especially on the first half. And the mood around the team is all wrong. And the mood around Spurs is just, it's, it's all weird. And it shouldn't be like that because, as much as Arsenal, they, they, they have a, a pretty strong squad. Uh, you can discuss depth, but they're pretty good players. Uh, Spurs, they, they have quality players. The gap shouldn't be so big between them. Mm. It's 14 points. 14 points. 14 points. And Spurs have played a game more. Yes. Wow. Well, Arsenal next weekend are going to be taking on Man United, who might just be their biggest rivals for the title. They are also, Man United, the only side that's beaten Arsenal in the Premier League this season. This weekend, Man United offering yet more evidence of their remarkable resurgence under Eric Ten Hag, picking up their ninth straight victory by coming from behind against Man City. Ooh, Natalie, you were at this one as well, and so were you, Daniel. Uh, see Man United turning the derby on its head with two goals in four minutes uh, late on. We're, we're going to draw a lot of conclusions from this game um, and say, you know, X and Y, etc., but... Are all of those conclusions a little bit, uh, how can I put this, contaminated, compromised by the fact that that opening goal for Man United was just yeah. wrong? I mean, a week ago, I said to Adrian, uh, Adrian Clark on the show, kind of, look, you need, we need to stop talking about the offside rule and try and kind of get to grips with it as it is before we make more changes. And I mean... Uh, the basic point is I've never seen a replay of a goal in a stadium and been more sure of one decision being made and being completely wrong because the other decision is being made. It's kind of, I just assumed that, I know the law changed a couple of years ago, so the kind of interfering with play element has been slightly diluted, but mm. uh, I just don't get it. I don't get how one player can, how Marcus Rashford can take three defenders with him uh, and then sort of slow down, not completely shield the ball, but definitely impede players Shepherds getting the ball. it. Yeah. yeah, he does, With, yeah. He doesn't actually touch it, but I, I think there's a key part in the rules about making a motion towards the ball, and he's literally yeah. running towards it for several metres. So, uh, I, again, I, I share your confusion. Sasha and Natalie, what, what do you think? Uh, it was offside. Yeah, it was offside. <laughs> uh, it was, because uh, if you're a defender and you see Rashford going and you, and you know that he's offside, mm. then you you, you stop. You're not gonna. You're he's not... in your headspace. You yes, know he's there. Yes, exactly. Also, if you're coming out like a goalkeeper to clean the whole thing out, like you, you don't just clean the ball out. You think, well, I'm going to be cleaning him out as well. Mm. It just affects everybody's thinking, and mm-hmm. it's, I think it's just nuts that that was allowed to stand. Mm. That was Bruno Fernandes' score. Marcus Rashford with the second, scoring for the seventh game in a row. He is stats fans the first United player to do that since Cristiano Ronaldo in 2008. Bruno, meanwhile, after the game, saying, now we are playing like a team. Some months ago, maybe some players were playing for themselves. Uh, I was going to ask, well, who, who could, I mean, who, who would he be? <laughs> oh, I love that. Mm. So emotional, Bruno, right? But you know what's interesting? Remember when Ronaldo came in? I had the feeling that, you know, Bruno Fernandes' hero is on the stage. And I got, like, when they were talking, like, when he was talking about, you know, what was happening, I felt like, you know, my hero's here. Right. And, you know, what... What's that they say about heroes, though? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, what made the difference? Beyond the fact that there's a big question mark over the first United goal, there definitely was a, a, a comeback. What made the difference? Well, first, United were really, really organized. They all knew exactly what they had to do. And that was remarkable, especially on the first half. They stopped every action from from City. It was really impressive how, how aware they were. Uh, in terms of of how they should defend, and on the second uh, on second half, after C- City was they, they were much better on second half. But I, I think in other occasions, maybe Man United would fall apart, and they just they stayed on the game. And they uh, we've seen so many Manchester derbies in the past few years where Man United was just reacting. They weren't really uh, trying to be themselves and they were trying to be themselves all the time. Of course, they were cautious uh, on the first half, especially as they should be because it's Manchester City. But they were really showing their personality. They were showing how they wanted to play. And Ten Hag on the second goal, I I loved it because he's so composed on the touchline. And then he just sprinted and and screamed. I think that really shows uh, the spirit at Man United now because they seem to be not only aware of what they need to know, but they are enjoying themselves and uh, they seem very confident. I was speaking to Casemiro after the match and he was very pleased with the way everybody is just so committed. And you have you see the leaderships mm. and you see uh, the individualities and you see the whole. So so things are looking good for Man United. And I asked him about the title race. So now you're in the title race, of course, because one point behind City, nine points behind Ar- Arsenal. OK. It's it's a, a a bit far, but even so, it's just uh, we're halfway through the season. Right, and they face them this weekend. Exactly, but he said no, no, just just stop it. There, there's no, there's no title talk. All right, but yeah, but he's just like that. There's there's a title talk, definitely. All right, they had to be concerned because it was Man City. But Daniel, is it Man City? One shot on target in two games now. Honestly, the most frustrate. I've always said it, but they're the most frustrating team when things aren't working because. I think it's because they're incredibly well drilled by Guardiola, but they just do the same thing, but slightly worse. And it, there's nothing worse than watching a team that you know can be brilliant do the same thing and it not work. The passing in the first half, A, they get they kept there were these sloppy passes between players that just kept going out of play, which is galling. But they're also, when they're lacking confidence, they seem to have this move whereby all the slow passes always ends up at João Cancelo's feet and he has to try and beat a man. And then pass it and it's always Bernardo Silva who drops really deep and all you're left with is Bernardo Silva basically is the second or third furthest player towards his own goal with no one really to pass to so he passes it back and the whole thing starts again I don't know if that's an Erling Haaland issue I don't know if it's a a confidence issue that players aren't quite prepared to give and go as quickly as they would be it changed in the second half because Grealish is a give and go player he came on suddenly they moved the ball quickly and they found some space but yeah, their other problem is this dropping points. Last season, when City won the league, they took the lead. They scored the first goal 28 times and won 27 of the, those games and drew the other. I think they've already dropped nine points after scoring first this season, which just isn't like them at all. Um, we, we've always said about City that when they score the first goal, they win the game. And when they can see the first goal, it can cause a bit of a panic. And it's it's almost the opposite at the moment, which is a bit strange. I wasn't entirely surprised by what happened to City against uh, United because 10 days ago I went to Chelsea City um, and that was a weird game because that um, Walker and Cancel were both playing on the right side. It was just, I, I don't know, I wasn't sure what Pep was trying to do. But they had a similar thing where they were completely dysfunctional in the first half. Nothing really happened. Holland was very well marked by the two centre-backs, Thiago Silva and Koulibaly. It was like, it was a joy to watch. And in the second um, half, in that particular game, City added a bit of width. Rico Lewis came on, added the, like you know, collected the whole game together, and they looked better for about twenty minutes. And at that stage, they won the game because Chelsea couldn't. Chelsea had nothing to improve themselves with. But also, curiously, Grealish comes on two minutes later, as, as though Grealish is not on the pitch, creates the goals against Chelsea, scores against United. I don't quite understand why people don't realize he's there on the left coming in. So in this particular game here, like the same stodginess, uh, they had the ball, they didn't know quite know what to do with it. I think they had like three or four chances the entire game. They barely fouled, so this means they had a lot of the ball. So it becomes a very sterile exercise in, in, in watching Manchester City. And, you know, after the Chelsea game, you know, 
Guardiola was asked, you know, what about those wingers? You know, what, what's happened to your whole, your whole shape? And he was he kind of brushed it off. But you look at this game, they don't get the round teams as much anymore as, as they used to previously. And I think he's trying to tinker um, w- with um, with what he's doing, but it's not working. And also Foden, what happened to Foden? Like he's just not like he, he, he he's barely in the game anymore. Yeah, Man City are doing the Foden these days. <laughs> they host uh, Spurs in the Premier League next Thursday. Spurs did the double over City last season, but that was so very long ago. What do you think, Daniel? Are United uh, Arsenal's biggest rivals, especially with Vegas there in the stands watching on, ready to be deployed? Biggest. I, yeah, I, I I honestly can't work out. I mean, logic dictates that Arsenal win the title I know they have to play Manchester City twice but they're playing better than them I know they have to play Manchester United again next weekend but they're better at home than any other team in the Premier League at the moment it's only the fact that they haven't won it before and that this all feels deeply weird um, that stops me from thinking that they will win the league and 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 it was only we should say it's only this weekend that Manchester City stopped being favourites and and Arsenal became kind of bookies favourites I'm just inclined to think that City somehow click and go on a run of about 12 wins and everyone kind of wonders I, in yeah. the end yes. of March what I mean, that's the, that's the instinct. But yeah. The, yeah. Been, a lot of people have said a lot about how much those incredible seasons of kind of dueling in excellence that Liverpool and City had, how, the toll that took on Liverpool. But The, to- the toll's it, taken on City as well. And I think you see with City, when they surrender the title, they seem to surrender it quite meekly because that's what happened. Liverpool won the league. It was done by halfway through the season. It feels almost like that now as well. Maybe there's going to be other priorities. But it's also a thing, I, I think, with this. How many seasons can you keep this up for, even if you're Manchester City? You know, historically, you have hard-pressing teams. I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, they could do it for two seasons. Like, say, Lobanovsky's Dynamo Kiev. Liverpool, I think, effectively did it for four. City, I mean, I, don't, I discount the injured season because I think that should have been a good season as well. With, with City, again... Peak for two seasons, like ridiculous peaks for two seasons. But then I think there, there must be a drop-off because ideas, I think Guardiola's, you know, she's trying to change things, but also, you know, players um, in, in terms of keeping going at that intensity for so long, not only physically, but I think psychologically break as well. I think added to that the Holland factor, which is supposed to smash everybody, but maybe it just complicated the way that c- the City played because they, they're going through a season of transition where they change the way they play to accommodate this guy. Mm. There's a stat going around uh, with Arsenal comparing the uh, the invincible season and the the current season, and with 18 games played, they they won more this season than they did the invincible one. So yeah, that's impressive. But with Manchester City, I don't know. Uh, in in one hand, you think they've shown so many surprises. They always have something hidden, and and they have they have the the, the, the biggest striker in the world at the moment. That sometimes, uh, and it was the case against Man United. They don't seem to to explore him 100%. But on the other hand, uh, Ten Hag mentioned something that that kept me thinking. Eras end. How do you see an era ending? The era Man City Liverpool. So is it coming to an end? Is it going to be uh, more now Arsenal building Mm. something and Man United seems to be building something? I, I honestly don't know. I think it's too uh, it's too soon, definitely really? because we're 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 still halfway through the season. But it is true, eras do end, and I, I don't know if it's the case. I think we're just gonna have to wait and see. Natalie, I right. tell you what, I went to Brighton on Saturday, right. and I think yeah. something's definitely ended there. Yeah. <laughs> talk about that very shortly. We'll also talk about whether Newcastle are in this title race thing. All sorts of other questions coming up on the Totally Football Show. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, host of Handbrake Off, the Athletics dedicated Arsenal podcast. Now, after yesterday's rather enjoyable afternoon at them over the road... 
I'd imagine Arsenal fans aren't going to want to miss what me and the crew have got to say. We're on every Monday and Thursday with a selection of Amy Lawrence, Adrian Clark, Art de Roche, and James McNicholas. And a brand new episode of Handbrake Off should be in your podcast feeds now. Just search for Handbrake Off on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Totally Football Show is going back out on the road again. Hope we do better than Liverpool do, eh, Sash? We're going to be at the uh, Leicester Square Theatre in London, all of about half a mile away, uh, with Duncan Alexander, Raphael Honigstein, and James Horncastle. If that sounds like the kind of evening you'd enjoy on the 4th of April, say, then get along to LeicesterSquareTheatre.com and snaffle up a ticket or two. Time to unleash the Sasha, listener. The energy with which Albion are closing down their opponents is wonderful to see. Ferguson now threads it. March could be in again here. Solly March! Special! Brighton, Liverpool. Brighton, three. Liverpool nil, I should say. Sasha, at last you finally saw the kind of performance you used to enjoy from Liverpool. <laughs> Only it was from Brighton. Yeah, if Brighton uh, against the hapless opposition, uh, right. playing rings around them. Now, Pressing, I th- aggressive. Reacting, fast, reacting, finding solutions. I mean, you know, after the game, Deserbi went, ooh, so we started off. And Liverpool are effectively playing three at the back. Hmm, we had to readjust. But my players are smart. So that, that's where we had the situation of Mitoma. Absolutely destroying that flank against Trent. Space speak behind Trent. Also getting excellent help from his team. There was actually um, it was a lovely moment in the second half. There was like a relay that went down left-hand side. Three or four players involved. I think there was a chance and there was a corner. But they just absolutely pulverised Liverpool there. And I think um, you know Klopp after the game was saying, and Klopp was so downbeat. I've never seen him like this, I think, post-match. But also he was saying it's possibly like you know the worst performance of his entire career, right. not only Liverpool. When was the last time you saw Liverpool that So thing? Liverpool, so I mean immediately people think back to 6-1. Uh, Stoke, right? Uh, like the, what should have been Rodgers' last game, right? And that was abject, but at least Liverpool scored in that. But I genuinely don't remember a game where Liverpool did well, like nothing right, pretty much. They mm-hmm. had a couple of counters in the first half. They had a little flurry after they put some legs on uh, the, the quadruple sub in the second half, uh, where they pressed actually high up for like five minutes and won the ball twice. And it's like, whoa, they competed. Liverpool just competed against Brighton. You know, this is this it's a big fall. So I think, unfortunately, the way from what we saw. It's almost like Liverpool are back to ground zero where they have to restart because I think when a hard-pressing team falls, it falls. I see. One of the saddest aspects of how far Liverpool have fallen is that Brighton beat Klopp's side for the first time since when? 1990? In 62 years, and it's still only ranked third on match of the day. But I think you had to be... It's one of those games you had to be there. Really? Uh, because like the dominance was total. Okay, well, let's talk about Brighton then, because oh, you were pretty thrilled with Deserbi. I was. I thought after the game was very, very impressive. I thought also he impressively talked about the Trossard situation mm. because you know look beforehand, you know, Trossard scored a hat trick at Anfield. He's yep. quite an integral player, and they lose him just before the game. It's a controversy, apparently an altercation with another player. Some respect, disrespect, respect. So his quote was: He said uh, before the Middlesbrough game in the cup, 
When he understood he wasn't playing, Trossard left the session without telling me anything. And that's when he decided. But you were saying there was something else behind yeah, it. Yeah, I think it was the, the, they talked about something happening in the training ground. But I think overall, De Zerbi, he talked about the situation. But look, my door is open. You know, this is an agent mm. coming out, putting out the statements. I like the guy. Let's, you know, the, come and talk to me. I saw that Spurs today have been cheeky with a 12 million bid for Trossard, uh, which I don't think... Um, Chelsea will buy him probably now. Chelsea will probably buy him for 25 <laughs> now. <laughs> they just come up, come up with the readies. But in, in, in Trossard's absence... I thought Mitoma on the one hand, we just discussed how he destroyed Trent, but also Sonny March on the other side, on the flank, but also, the, and, and in the middle of this whole thing, you know, people talk about age. Adam Lalana, injury prone 34-year-old, ex-Liverpool player. Mm. And he was, but the thing is, he was the only old man there. There was other guys doing the running for him, which I think is Liverpool's problem at the moment. Too many old men. Not Same enough. thing we do with this part, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 34 as an old man is just... Yeah. What do you think about me? But Deserbi said, it was, it was funny after the game, he was talking, yeah, so basically I told March and I told Mitoma 10 goals and I'm on the case every day. 10 goals, 10 goals, 10 goals. Score, score some goals, score more goals. Solly March scored four goals this season already. He, so mm. he's supposed to score 10. He only scored 11 league goals in his entire career before this season. Right. Uh, so I think that's quite a high and bar. Brighton. And Brighton as a whole, they didn't score goals. That's yeah, what exactly, exactly. And this guy is all scoring goals. He got gross at right back. Uh, so like he's pushing attacking players further back so they can take a stupid young Colwell what a great great yeah. signing for, uh, from Chelsea he's a loanee from Chelsea the whole thing works I think the worst player there is probably the goalkeeper um, but um, from Liverpool's point of view it's ground zero it has to like, I think they have to say look midfield's too old we can carry one of them but not three of them of course there's, there's structures injuries um, you know press us from the front but the whole thing breaks down it's like it, going back to Dinamo Kiev when they were slightly off, uh, speaking to like a former captain, like they knew it and they knew they'll get beat. But they almost took it as a given that there's a couple of seasons, there's going to be a couple of seasons downtime, then we'll come back again. Right. This cannot be maintained all the time. You'd hope with Liverpool, the surgery would be more gradual, but they didn't do it. Okay. The difference, I guess, with Lobanovsky's side was that the structure behind the team was always the same, remained constant. Whereas with Liverpool, this is very much potentially a time of change. Right? It's, it's potentially a time of change, but also these days... Your players are fitted; they last longer. You know, it's right. science has moved on. Lobanovsky two-year peak, uh, and, that, and then there was the drop-off. If uh, if you were in charge of uh, you know recruitment and also departures, who would you ship out from this side, Sash? I would Mo Salah be one of them. No, I think the problem with Salah, uh, I saw similarities with Torres against Everton under Hodgson hmm. in 2010. There's a striker somewhere over there, surrounded by four defenders, and let's hoof the balls to him. And I think this is <laughs> from time to time what Liverpool. Like kind of resorted to. So I don't think it's his problem. Uh, but I do think that for this to work, the team has to run. So therefore, I think two of, of Thiago, Fabinho and Henderson cannot play, I think, because uh, they, they, they have to be able to, to, to press in that midfield. Also, you know, Matip got badly exposed, but I'm, again, I'm not sure it's quite his problem. So I kind of have sympathy with Klopp when he says, you know, it's a structural thing. Yes, a pressing team, the whole thing has to work. One or two segments fall out, the whole thing collapses. Uh. Right. Okay, it mm -hmm. is a structural thing, but at the same time, if you have players saying that the energy level is low, then you need to rise the, 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 these levels. And, and if, you, if you bring out new players, I don't understand why Liverpool is so chilled during the, the transfer window. Because if you bring out new players and you bring this competition, then the energy levels, they change, especially mm. for midfield. And midfield is, is key, especially for a team that plays in, a, in such a high pace and intensity as Liverpool always did. So I, I understand the, the, the Klopp's argument, but I think they should be more concerned in bringing new, new names just to, you know, mix it up a little, just to, just to, to, to change the dynamics. I, I was here two years ago um, going, getting old, they're getting old together, they're going to get old together. People like Sash, Silly, but they got all together. Yeah, no, and, and, and one of Klopp's arguments is that this, the same midfield or the same players, these same players, they already had... Uh, really good performances, mm. but we know it. it Long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work yeah, like I that. Think one one of the issues I think is that when they rebuilt the first time under Klopp, generally with a rebuild, you start from the back to the front, and they did that by buying Allison and Virgil Van Dijk. This time they seem to have gone about it back to front because, or front to back, should I say? Oh. You know, they've got Diaz, Jota, Gakpo, Nunes, Salah, Elliot, Firmino. They've got a huge collection of strikers, and yet the running's not there. To, to give them the chance to create the chances. And I, I don't get why they've done that so emphatically front to back rather than doing what worked before, which was building around two absolute defensive pillars or midfield pillars and building that spine and then moving on from that. That's what I don't understand. Yeah, we'll probably have 
plenty of other opportunities to discuss how things are going wrong at <laughs> Liverpool as the, the weeks go by. This week, they're going to be, well, in fact, on Tuesday at Molyneux for the replay of that FA Cup tie with Wolves in which they barely escaped with a, a draw last time. And then next weekend, oh my word, Chelsea. Liverpool currently lying ninth, Chelsea tenth, this very much the stay-in-the-top-half derby. Chelsea, since our last show, have actually played twice. Thursday at Fulham, you were there for that, Sash, and then this weekend at home to Crystal Palace, who they always beat. They got the win against Palace, but lost against the Cottagers and also lost their brand-new low-knee Shao Felix. Which, which was really unfortunate, because I thought that uh, up to getting sent off, he was, he was lively. He was everywhere. Right. He was... Um, he kind They've of only made got him sick. for 19 games, and now he's out for three of them. <laughs> People were already, after the game at... Um, at full and people are already making. How much does the suspension cost them? Yeah, it's all probably over a million quid. Um, wow. But so he he was good. I thought he was an, he was an unfortunate lunge in midfield. Um, people, you know, asked about you know Potter's questions about Potter's formation at Fulham. But I thought at the same time, you know, he had Lewis Holt, so this, this young fullback. You know, I think two goals against Fulham were on him. Uh, I thought they got bullied by Fulham as well mm-hmm. um, in a way that I think perhaps Palace didn't. But I think it's very telling that after the Palace game, Potter's saying, who result is king because he got to that stage. He was, right. I, I was in the press conference after the game at Fulham and he, this is what Chelsea does to people. Happened to Lampard. Four right. months later, he's like, like he looks like but an old man. I think, Daniel, you were making the point that his press conferences are increasingly becoming a bit like a kind of subconscious cry for help. Or an expression of his own unconscious battles with the and the, the comments yeah. after Palace are like you know we can't buy everybody lads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I, I also like the way he said like my job I think is to help the team improve. <laughs> it's like even if he's not even sure if he's got that or even maybe Todd Bowley wants to do that as well. So who knows? But yeah, I mean he he said after the game like you say he said we can't just sign players to replace them because otherwise you end up with a squad of thirty players. I mm. mean they've already used twenty eight this season. Yeah, how, how many have they got at the moment on the books? <laughs> well, I did a depth chart earlier, and I think there were I think there were thirty nine or forty players on that depth chart, uh, which doesn't include Zakaria or Felix, and also doesn't include the weird thing is some Chelsea replies, fans replying to me saying like, "Oh, you haven't included these four kids," and I'm like, "Look, if your point is that you've got too many players, I am on board with that." <laughs> <laughs> but th- th- their answer and Chelsea fans' answer is always, and I get it, is well, we'll move these players on, but. There's a reason why everyone's forgotten that Baba Rachman and Timue Bakayoko are still contracted to Chelsea, and that's because it's very hard to move those players on other than on subsidised loan deals. So, like, like Sasha says, Potter's got this kind of prime minister element to him where six months in the job and he suddenly looks about 85 years old, which is... I remember his first game, he had this kind of... Everyone was raving he had this kind of James Bond black suit look on the touchline. He just looks... Yeah, he looks hungover constantly now. And and they have all these options, all these numerous options of of uh, attacking players, especially. And then Harvard scores scores the goal, and he said in his interview, "I am not the type of player who will score thirty goals uh, in a season." And and we know that it's true, mm. but like, who is this player then? Mm. Because if you have like one hundred <laughs> attackers, and and you don't have the the is player it, who's always going to deliver, is it? And correct my pronunciation, Sasha Mikhail Mudrik, Mikhail Mudrik. Um, I mean, he's not quite the central forward maybe they're looking for. He's yet another sort of attacking wideish player. I mean, it's an interesting transfer, as we were discussing before the show, uh, Natalie was saying, it's always interesting transfer discussions with uh, Shakhtar Donetsk because they just say, give us this much money and they never budge. So I think this was possibly Arsenal's problem. They tried to negotiate. Yeah, no, I've heard so many stories of Brazilians who played at Shakhtar because there were many and they always said, oh, they, they make it a nightmare to, to, for players to leave. So they, you have to bring the big bucks. It's a lot of money. It feels like a lot of money. But again, the guys in Ukraine think, given the current market, it's probably right. Look, he has 29 league games and 13 Champions League games for Shakhtar Donetsk, but they all think he's the real deal. He's had went a little bit um, at one stage, you know, early in his career, you know, when he first, you know, rose to fame. But right people around him, apparently, so he's had screwed on. If nothing else, we do have to admire Todd Bowley appointing a manager who famously had a team that was very creative but didn't have a striker who could score goals and then buying like 17 <laughs> different attackers and none of them are a decent centre-forward. It is it is great. Mudrik, though, was one of the kind of revelations yeah. of the Champions League group stage. For his, his, his runs down the flank, he looked a really dangerous winger, more for the crosses, I guess, but yeah, he, decent finisher. He, he, he just scored, I think, three Champions League goals this season. But I think Are there a lot of other elements to his game, though? Well, so young, skillful, fast. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's, it's almost standard boxes, but you could see how much he's shown in the Champions League. So he does it like, to an extra level. Also, I think Shakhtar are very... 
either they know their players, well, they must know their players, obviously, very, very well. Very fortunate with the timing, because if you remember in August, you know, um, Brentford were in, uh, in for him, and they were offering, I think, 30-odd or something like that. So they waited a little bit, waited for the Champions League, and now he's off the, he was completely off, um, you know, in, in a different, on a different level from Brentford, and they're able to squeeze this much money out of them. And again, perhaps they are fortunate here that Chelsea is now spending. Maybe right. they had a word with some with Chelsea. Of course, he had a big ally at Arsenal, Zinchenko was obviously lobbying for the transfer, being his captain in the national team. Right. So there was a, would have been a strong lobby at Arsenal. But at the end of the day, money works in two levels. Shakhtar get the money and also Mudrik gets the money because mm. they offered bigger wages. I mean, what's he going to do? Absolutely. Daniel, have you got a figure for how much Todd Burley has spent so far? Uh, it's it's a, a, it's over 400 million. And B, it's already more than Roman Abramovich ever spent in a season at Chelsea. So I, I do think there's an element of trying to impress the new audience because he, he is aware that Roman Abramovich left while still remaining very popular under Chel- with Chelsea supporters. Uh, so I think there's an element of trying to impress. I think mm. there's an element of um, trying to buy young players on big, long contracts for this kind of amortisation thing where you, you pay forever, but you are able to manage FFP. So he's kind of creating this long-term project. But the problem with that is that Chelsea have consistently change managers that no long-term project ever really exists. Right, yeah, 400 million is a lot for line 10th in the table. But <laughs> and, and also in terms of winning your audience, Chelsea fans at Fulham singing, we want that Chelsea back. Huh? Right. Huh, okay. Christopher Nkunku, uh, we read, is going to be the next arrival, although, uh, yeah. Who is the biggest disappointment then? At Liverpool, Chelsea? Liverpool or oh. Chelsea? Ooh, this season. Shout. Yes, no, because... That's the next what fixture. Do you think, West Ham. Everton. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're cheating on the game. That's not the question. Okay, boys, um, please. What do you think, Natalie? Uh, with the level of investment, I don't know, because Chelsea is going through, uh, uh, we expected the, the, the transitional season mm. because of the, the, the change of ownership and, and manager. And, and Potter is clearly still trying to find the team and he keeps getting more options, but he's still trying... Maybe maybe Liverpool in a way. Yes. I would say yes, Liverpool. Because they were so competitive only a few months ago and right. they changed don't, don't, so much. Don't say that word, Natasha. We'll be here for another 10 minutes. Okay, yes. I, I just, and I, I say the reason why, because right. I think Liverpool, A, cannot spend the way out of it. Right. And also B, managerial cycle. Chelsea have a new manager. Yeah. Liverpool's manager has how, been there for a while. How many years is it with Clock? Uh, seven, seven years. Over seven years now. What happened? Yeah, okay. Let's not I mean, do let, this. Let's not, let's there, not do this. Let's see if he has, if he can transform it here. Because All right. Yeah, Maybe. Newcastle beat Fulham 1-0. Two Alexanders were key in this game. Uh, Alexander Izak popping up at the 89th minute. Nice story, right? Is it? Yeah, nice story because he, he hasn't played since September. He had like this heartbreaker, heartbreaking thigh injury. Oh, and right. Yes, because everybody had this high expectation around him. And I don't know, he just looked so happy when he scored. <laughs> he scored the winning goal. So uh, it, it was it was something. Newcastle unbeaten in mm. their past 14 Premier League matches. It's so impressive. And, and the, the goalkeeper and the defensive line, they started the last 12 Premier League matches in a row. Very so good. yeah, it just, just shows the, the consistency in the, in the work that they're doing. Uh, big concern for Bruno Guimarães' injury. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, how, how bad do you think that is then? Well, uh, it didn't look good. He he left the pitch uh, during halftime crying. So I think sometimes it's just a matter of 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 the impact uh, at the time. Uh, you always have to wait for you know scans and the the swallowing to go. But yeah, it doesn't look good, especially because Newcastle has they 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 found this this formation and it's all glued in. And Bruno is such a, a, a central player in the way that they they press and he's everywhere everywhere on the pitch. So yeah, mm. just, who's the, the player of the year? No, yes, Not, yeah, yes. Uh, the other Alexander, who had quite an influential role in this, <laughs> uh, was of course Alexander Mitrovic, mm. uh, who had the penalty which. Fulham were probably wrongly wrongly given because mm-hmm. it wasn't. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought it, I thought he'd take his legs. I think there's two chances there. There's initial one, and they come back for the second. He, yeah, I think I th- he missed. He steps on him. I no, I think I think I think the first penalty was a pen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. wasn't given. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so in a way it balances out. <laughs> yes, exactly. But then it doesn't because uh, Mitrovic slips over while taking the kick, and his standing foot touches the ball, which means that it's been touched by two feet, which is a crime so heinous. That unlike the goalkeeper coming off his line or people <laughs> getting into the box before they should, there is no way 
that you can have that kick again. The penalty is taken away from you. How dare you? It's literally, it, I mean, it sounds hyperbolic, but it's the worst rule in football. And I think it's only there because it doesn't happen very often. But as you say, if an attacking player encroaches at a penalty, which is a deliberate offence, whether they're doing it slightly unwittingly or not, it's a deliberate event action, you retake the penalty. If a player slips over, and by the way, because Newcastle scuffed up the penalty spot, which is happening more and <laughs> more now, why you there, will be a rule to, there will be a rule to bring that in as well pretty soon. You'll get done for that on video evidence because it is it is awful. Um, yeah, Mitrovic slips over. Look, if you deliberately kick the ball onto your other foot to score, and if you can do that, fair play to you, then fine. Yeah, why shouldn't you be able to do it anyway? It. What's wrong with it? Yeah, it's a lovely little trick shot. But no, I guess it's to stop. Well, I don't know what it's to stop. It's to stop player dribbling oh, for the penalty, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, it's absolute nonsense that the player can fall over. And yeah, you're right. In this instance, I didn't think it was a penalty. I, th- I actually think the Fulham player commits the foul first on, on Trippier with a kind of standing on his foot. Mm. But if that's someone getting wiped out by a goalkeeper and then they slip over because someone's scuffed up a penalty shot and you lose, the, it's just a nonsense rule. I don't. I, I have no idea why it, it, that is the rule rather than just retake like in everything else. Oh, well, there you go. One nil it finished between Newcastle and Fulham. And credit to Fulham. Yeah. Yeah, went toe-to-toe against Newcastle at St. James Park. Credit to them. And Marco Silva got booked. He, he's very temperamental. Is he? Yes, a Brazilian it, saying, okay? Right, but Brazilian yeah. standards. Yes, for, 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 even for Brazilian standards, okay? Yeah. Yes, no, no, he is on, on the touchline. I think there's a, good, there's a good side of it because, you know, you, you get your players on board. But you got booked at the end of the match. I mean, it, what's... It's, yeah, not good, right? Yeah. Alrighty. Oh, Sash? I, I think so. Very impressive from Fulham so far anyway. I think especially given that I have still have a lot of questions about their centre-backs. I think they played a bit of a role in, in the equaliser here, but the structure around and the general protection that they get, I think, is very good. Plus, Ben Leno, let's give a shout-out to him. I think he's having an excellent season. All right, then. Now, plenty of people are not having an excellent season. are down the bottom end of the table where the bottom seven teams in the Premier League are separated by just two points. We're talking about them and who's in most trouble after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Totally Football Show European Edition is out on Tuesday and it's going to be a busy one. We'll be talking about PSG. They went and lost again against Rennes. Lens are just three points behind them now. Crikey. We'll also talk about Friday's big Napoli-Juventus game. Barcelona beating Real in El Clasico. Shakira destroying Piquet. Oh, my word. I'm not missing this one. Have you not? No, I'm not Check missing it. Out. Yes, no, I'm not it's, missing it's, that. It's astonishing. Because <laughs> oh, wow. you speak a little Spanish. Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, no, that was yeah. amazing. Her, yes. her pun on the word pique is deliciously delivered. It Sal really is pique. astonishing. It's, a- it's Eamon and Frankie for the TikTok generation. 
Right, yeah, those? very yeah. much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, all right, so all of that and no doubt more uh, with the guys on Tuesday. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is out on Monday as the WSL returns from its winter break. Uh, Arsenal took on Chelsea at the Emirates. There was an 89th-minute equaliser from Sam Kerr to maintain Chelsea's lead over the Gunners in the title race. Three points the gap there. The Gunners have a game in hand. You can hear much more about it on Monday. Sasha? Can I ask a question? What would happen if Napoli win the league? If um, they finally do... A like, big party. With Kavice <laughs> at the centre of it as a 21-year-old. Yeah. I mean, they will be naming stadiums, streets and churches after him after well, this. Well, Pele I mean, first, because, you know... Uh, no, I think Thank he overrides Pele in, in, in Naples, I think, probably. <laughs> Maybe the ones... Maybe the ones not, no. <laughs> OK. Yeah, no, I mean, what, what do you want me to say? They will be very, very happy and... It's, uh, <laughs> and Napoli are a well-run club these days. Yeah. I mean, look at them. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you look at the complete basket mm. cases yeah. in Italy, De Laurentiis has done... He's not everybody's cup of tea. He's quite an abrasive character, but their transfer policy, the 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 way they've let players go. I mean, look at the players they let go. You know, the, the key, the, the backbone of their side, they moved them on, some for a great deal of money to Chelsea, um, and have, have come out a better team. And, and Spalletti's just... I mean, Spalletti, I know he won the title in, in Russia, yeah. but in Italy, he's the guy who... Play great football, who always kind of won people's hearts, but never won the titles. And and I, I think it's going to be extraordinary. I don't see, I, just, I really don't see them collapsing. Like because we thought maybe they'd fade in the new year. The start of the season had been so amazing. We saw we were saw in the Champions League against Ajax and Liverpool, etc. But Friday night they were back to that. They <laughs> is looked, is uh, Italy prepared for that? <laughs> for Napoli, <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, who's going to? That's the thing. The other teams, you know, Juve had, had, had put together that run, but I think we we saw the difference of level on Friday. Milan, uh, and by no means consistent enough, they did brilliantly winning the title themselves last year. Inter, you know, Inter. So yeah, I mean, I think we're going to find out it. in May. What odds would you have got on the Napoli Arsenal double? I wonder at the start of the season because Arsenal were fifty to one, and I guess Napoli would have been shorter than that, but not massively. Yeah, interesting question. All right, here's a question: uh, bottom of the Premier League, as I mentioned, only two points separating the bottom seven. Which which three are going to go down at the end of it? You've got Leeds, Leicester, and Wolves on seventeen points, Bournemouth on sixteen. And then on 15 points, the bottom three, which is now West Ham, Everton and Saints. You'll notice I didn't mention Forrest in those seven teams. So best guess then, who's going down and, and where's Sean Dyche going to be this time next week? Oh, Everton are going down. Right. And really, yeah? Yeah, they are going down. Who are the other two, Sash? Bournemouth, I think, are struggling. Yeah. Um, three, whew, hard to say. West Ham look a bit, a bit of a, a, bit of a what funk. Think? I was trying to stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. what, I mean, uh, Everton beaten this weekend by the side who were bottom, Southampton. That's right, they were yeah, bottom. Yeah, they were bottom at the... home against the bottom side. And what a time for Nathan Jones to get his yeah. first league win. Well, it's third of the week, though. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. It's... The other two coming in the league and, mm. and FA Cup. Huge, hugely One impressive. One over Man City. Ex- exactly. And they, they didn't let Man City have a shot on target. Right. Busted. Um so they come to Goodison Park. I mean, Goodison, I saw that, you know, the fans stage, you know, the big welcome that they did towards the end of last season mm. to get everyone in the mood. Um, maybe they didn't bring the dog this time, so they couldn't do it. There was quite, quite a farewell for some of their players as well afterwards. We'll get onto that. The, you saw the, 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 the footage of fans running the, down the streets to uh, to catch up with um, Anthony Gordon. Uh, yeah, Gordon. I'm just abusing Gordon. I mean, he was like the big, big hero, like at this stage last season. Um, Yeri Mina, I thought, um, was... Very, very patient mm-hmm. uh, with the fans. Actually, came out and nodded along. You know, said a couple of right things. Right. Um, very angry, angry fans who at one point demanded, you know, Alessia, we need to meet the players yeah. and, and tell them. You well, know, with Gordon, they actually made a roadblock. It yeah, yeah, like it, it was just it's horrible. I mean, it's. Um, but I think this is again. This is almost decades of frustration boiling over. And, and also, they can see what's happening. Like, the team is not responding. Um, plus, the stadium. I mean, Moshiro let it slip the other day. Spanish going to cost $750 million instead of $500 million. And you add all these things up, and you think, guys, maybe what's happening on the pitch maybe is not even the biggest problem. But I think the way it's happening, who is in charge, um, yeah, talking about Lampard, I don't think he's pulling them out of it. It's it's going downhill very fast on and off the pitch. Yeah, right? and after the match, he was he was talking about how uh, the the offside the, uh, the off pitch things are not affecting the team really. Like 
you just see the nerves. Mm -hmm. they, they, they hit the, the, the crossbar once and then they concede a fall that is so next to the box. And it says in neon lights, James Ward Prowse right. goal. <laughs> He's going to score from here. You can see the fall from there against a team that has a player like James Ward Prowse. I mean, really. And, and you, you're telling me that nerves are not playing a part. Of course they are. Everything. And you understand the, the frustration of the fans. But of course this is going to play a part in the way Everton's playing. And, and credit to Southampton. Mm. The first goal was brilliant. James Ward Prowse from, from there. You know what's going to happen. But... It's all, it's all off. So, yeah, credit for, for Southampton, who were behind at half-time. Uh, who scored the first goal? You... Everton opened scoring from a corner. Right. Just before half-time, Onana. Onana. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nana, Onana, right. Okay. Yeah, header. Oh. So, so the Onana goal, and then, as you say, James Ward-Prowse stepping up. And, yeah, rarely has there been a player who matches your expectations when set-pieces are awarded the way that James Ward-Prowse, every time he seems to just... Nice, nice, nice trajectory as well. I think mm. he kits us with his toes. So I think but Pickford, initially I was quite critical of Pickford, why didn't he do anything? I think it's one of those quite hard to judge the trajectory as it comes over the wall. So he just has no time. Right? Plus Mikolenko is pulling back as well. So he's just And like, the speed of, yeah. of the ball, the technique is like, perfect. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's a perfect free kick. Saints still bottom of the table, uh, but only one point now off safety. Everton uh, will level with them, but only ahead on goal difference. But now uh, four home defeats in a row, three of those defeats coming against teams that started the day in the relegation zone, which is a real worry because their next opponent, Natalie, is... West Ham. Talk yeah. about desperation. No, honestly, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because, yeah, in West Ham, they don't have an easy run because after Everton, they have Newcastle, Chelsea and Spurs. Oh, so good word. luck to them, yeah. Mm. West Ham beaten 1-0 this weekend by Wolves. Daniel Podense. Uh, everyone calls him Podence. Natalie, that's wrong, isn't it? It's yeah, Podense. it's Podense. Yeah, yeah. okay, good. Uh, he scored three goals in four Premier League matches now under Lopetegui, who seems to be turning that team around at great pace. The Hammers, meantime, have taken just one point from the last 21 available. Yikes. David Moyes is the one manager I can least... I mean, there's about seven managers who are under serious pressure at the moment, but Moyes is the one that I can believe least... Is it still in the job? Um, because unlike uh, Bournemouth, let's say there are greater expectations. Unlike Everton, there are fewer off-pitch concerns. Unlike other clubs, they didn't let's say like Wolves, they didn't spend as much money. West Ham spent 160 million pounds last summer, having finished seventh. They're in the relegation zone, and yet Moyes is still in the job. And I, I know they progressed in the Europa Conference League, but that surely isn't enough. Um, Moyes is. There's just a complete lack of creativity. The fans, we should say, have now turned, judging by the chants at Wolves on, on Saturday. The, the, there's this kind of weird core celebra around Side Ben Rama at the moment where Moyes won't, is not prepared to start him and yet he seems to be the only player who can beat a man. That's reflecting badly on him, as is the huge amount of money spent in the summer to very little obvious gain at the moment. So, yeah, um, there was a report in the Times this weekend that said, you know, looking at, Rafa Benitez or Nuno which to be really? honest strikes is incredibly uninspiring but then if five clubs are going to sack managers very soon then they aren't all going to be able to get high-end firefighters and I just, yeah it doesn't feel a particularly good climate in which to sack a manager at the moment no indeed not meanwhile uh, Wolves who did successfully uh, change uh, the man in charge uh, I've also been adding to his squad Paulo Sarabia uh, joining from PSG didn't have the best of times at PSG. Uh, difficult to find space there. But what a record he had prior to that. 21 goals for Sporting last season and 22 goals in his final campaign for Sevilla. And they only paid about £5 million for him. How is that possible? Georges Mendes? Redact redacted, ah, yeah. All right. <laughs> redacted. <laughs> okay. Silly me. Excellent. Hey, uh, sitting pretty three points above those seven sides are Nottingham Forest who added to Leicester's woes this weekend with a 2-0 victory. Hey, do you know that's uh, Forrest's biggest Premier League win of the season? Yes. Something has changed at Forrest. I know for all the, the kind of sniping, some of which I understood over the, the, the huge number of players brought in, the most criticism they got was for signing Morgan Gibbs-White, and he is an absolute revelation. The ability to play on the counter-attack, the link-up with Brennan Johnson that is improving every week... He's just playing box to box and yet seemingly always being in the penalty area when Forrest need him. And he has, by a mile, been Forrest's best attacking player this season. Uh, and yeah, the, very briefly, Steve Cooper has changed from about five to about four, which has made 
basically allowed the centre-backs to concentrate on being centre-backs, not having to get dragged out to cover for a wing-back. Because now one of the one or two of the midfielders do that job for them, and it's it's turned them around. They do still concede high quality chances, but the number of shots they're facing has dropped massively. The number of chances they're creating has improved massively, and I'm still minded as an ever pessimist to think they'll get pulled into trouble. And they are only a few points above it, but they've got Bournemouth away, then Leeds at home. If they take four points from those two games, it's a massive step forward. No, a word on a word on Danilo, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Forest new signing. Hear that out, Daniel. <laughs> so, no, because I was talking to, to a few friends who cover Palmeiras and who have been following Danilo. And, and he's the next big thing uh, in Palmeiras, which is the most competitive team in Brazil alongside uh, Flamengo. So he's very young. He's 21. So there's the good part of it. There's a lot to develop there. And he's kind of this modern midfielder. He's a good passer. He, he uh, defends well. Uh, he's everywhere on the pitch. So very energetic. Uh, he has a good air ball as well. But at the same time, he's very young and he's the shy type. He's mm. very shy. So I don't know uh, which type of immediate impact he can have, but there's a lot to explore on him. There's a lot of potential. Who's he like, Natalie? If you had to compare him to a player that I might know, who would you? Is, is there? Mm. You can do a hybrid one if you want. <laughs> um, no, I'm thinking about uh, the the defensive midfielders that we have in the Premier League. Oh, he's now. defensive midfielder. Yes, he's he? defensive oh, man- right, midfielder. Okay. So, so maybe, maybe a, a bit like Hodri, okay. because because he's comfortable uh, also uh, playing closer to the box, but he defends well. He's very energetic. I think he's more. He has more pace than than Hodri in okay. terms of uh, general pace, not because Hodri can definitely sprint. But yeah, he's promising. But I think you have to take it easy on him because he's 21, you know. I'm laughing at the moment because I can see Natalie's words being spread across <laughs> Forrest Twitter by this afternoon. Of Forrest is signing Rodri, a quicker Rodri. I love it. What, what did you make of Scarpa who made his debut, Gustavo Scarpa? He is becoming a cult hero. I mean, partly we should say because I think he probably played a pretty strong role in, in Danilo's decision to join oh, um, yes, the definitely. club. Yes, definitely. Um, but he, he is a, a complete personality. I'm not yet convinced about his suitability for the Premier League, although he's, he's clearly like an adventurous attacking midfielder. But he, he's, he's really into his skateboarding. Mm. And so for his first two days in Nottingham, he was just... The, the market square in Nottingham is quite famous as being used by skateboarders. And so he was just there for the first two days while he was in Nottingham, just enjoying himself. The other thing he's done is he's got the Forest squad into Rubik's Cube yeah. because he can apparently solve it in about 12 seconds. Yeah. And there's videos of like some of the players taking photos of the other players just sat there in the dressing room before the game trying to work on this Rubik's Cube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Focus on your football, lads. No, and, and <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was speaking to Lodgy, uh, I think after yeah. the United match, and I was like, oh, are you skateboarding? He was like, no, but I'm really good at the cube. I'm, I'm almost, I, I have almost all of them figured out. I just have one that I need to practice. So they're all, they're, they're all very into it. Can you do the Rubik's Cube, Natalie? <laughs> no, I, I have to take uh, some classes with uh-huh. Scarpa, definitely. Sash? No, no. Really? Daniel? No? no I, have, I would say I haven't really tried, but that I also probably wouldn't be able to. It was it. something, okay, it's a generational thing. It was something that no, my, my, my day, We had the Rubik's Cube, yeah. uh, but... I, my brain just doesn't work. Well, you don't need the it. brain to work. It's it's just a, it, there is a formula. Yeah. So, but I mean, what Scarpa does is is next level, obviously. Um, yeah. He's a nice guy. Excellent. Uh, Leicester in that seven, four defeats out of four for them now. Uh, the only Premier League side yet to pick up a single point from a losing position this season, which is not a great stat. Leeds and Bournemouth are in the bottom seven as well after defeats Friday at Villa and Saturday at Brentford respectively. Uh, anything you want to say about these guys? Can I say, give some kudos <clears> to Leeds. <throat> I mean, I was flicking between uh, Napoli Juventus and Leeds Villa. Hmm. Maybe not the most natural thing to do. But Nonto, my God, the periods of pressure that they brought on. He ran right in the second half as well. They controlled most of the game, unlucky to concede. The intensity with which they played, they just kept on going. I mean, they kept on missing chances and must have been quite disappointed, but they just kept going and going, goal disallowed. On and on. I'm actually very much with Jesse Marsh saying that's the most impressive performance so far because they, I think they deserve to win the game. A bit unfortunate, Bailey decides to finally score. Uh, but the, I, what I, even despite all the other factors, 
I think the relentlessness, I think, is the first time we've seen it to this extent from Arsha's Leeds. They were impossible to play against. Sash is right. They played very well. Um, they did also lose, and they have now only won two of the last 17. There is a, a big old period coming up for Leeds because with the signing of, of Rutter as well as Nonto, they've spent 140 million odd this season, and the oldest player is 25, Mark Rocker. Um, they are basically doing the same as Southampton, which is gambling that the young players get it done enough just to keep them in the Premier League and that this is the low point and everything from here onwards is forward. But one of those two clubs possibly is going to get kind of caught in their own trap and it's a lot harder to do that in the Championship with that young squad. So, yeah, I, I do fear for Marsh a little bit, his kind of brand of uber-optimism. I get what he's trying to do and I think what he's trying to do is working. I'm just not sure that what he's trying to do is right for Leeds. All right. Well, they are in the bottom seven, but alone of those teams, they have a game in hand. So that's something. The fact they've only won two of their last 17 suggests that its, uh, it's uh, it potential impact is limited. Anyway, we shall see. But now, let's park it all there for today's Totally Football Show. Many thanks to Natalie and Sasha and Daniel for being with us. Producer Charlie, you, listener. We've got one coming up tomorrow, the Euro Show. As mentioned, it's going to be a very interesting one too. So I hope you'll join us for that. And then Thursday, we'll be back for more Premier League chat. Uh, have a great time in the meanwhile from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network discover bonus video content by searching for the Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally the Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com it's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.